roses turn to scat It's better because of you and that's a fact We're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I Well, it, it, my, I just got my taxes done the day before they were due And my return is is massive so i yeah, yeah, i want to save it <laughs> i want to save it but if i have to spend it on celtics tickets i might or yeah. if i have to send yeah. spend it on phoenix tickets well i was gonna to tell phoenix you. and to watch the suns that might happen tell you what, too if the sun if it's sun celtics we're, we you'll come a, to a game in boston and i'll come to a game a in phoenix uh, i maybe <laughs> be on your floor because there's no way in hell we can afford a hotel but we might i i have an air mattress here that you can sleep well on. that that might be where we're at my friend yeah we got that would plenty be a blast of room for that get taylor yeah. taylor can sleep on the floor oh, you can God, sleep on the awesome. air mattress whatever we can takes, go to yeah. td garden God, even, that'd be amazing yeah it'd be fun that'd be fun anyway yeah. uh welcome back to uh, what's the name of our body? Oh, you'll understand when you're younger. I'm Jordan. It's been a while, so and we're older at this point. So. Yeah, we are. I, but I'm still younger than you. Got that yeah, well, going for well, me. True enough. True enough. Uh, our intro song is by Ted Heineshevitz. It's called You and I. Go check out Ted on Spotify or wherever you get your music. Support him on Absolutely. Bandcamp if you want to actually buy digital copies of his stuff or see him live. Absolutely. Uh, what's the question of the week, Pop? Question of the week is, what is the spiciest thing you have ever eaten? The spiciest thing that I've ever eaten. Mm. That's unclear to me. Do you have an answer so that you know? I oh, do. I yours do. is the curry, right? Yes. Yes. I remember, remember this story. Unfortunately, you remember this story. So it's it's uh, uh, there's a place uh, in Minneapolis that used to exist, does not exist anymore. It used to be called the Sri Lanka Curry House. And Troy and myself, my my one of my best friends, uh, Troy Johnson, no relation, uh, and I had gone to the Sri Lanka Curry House. And you know, this is when we were about your age, 22, 23 years old. And we absolutely thought that we had the world by the tail, right? We could do anything, could eat anything, could drink anything, whatever it took. And so we went there, and uh, the, the waiter comes to us and says, hey, uh, what can I get you? And we ordered whatever the meal was. I frankly have no freaking clue what the heck we ordered. Sure. Except, except for the fact that the guy's like, okay, well, what is the spice level you want? You know, it's one through five. And, you know, Troy and I, again, we're, we know what the hell's going on. So we're like, we want five. And the guy looked at us. He, like, his eyes are as big as saucers. He's like, are you sure you want five? Because once you get a certain spice level, we can't make it less spicy. But we can make it more spicy. So if you start lower, we can make it better. Nope, no chance. We want it the spiciest thing ever. So we get the five. Oh, my God. But, it's, I mean, literally taking the fork to our mouth, before we even got it to our lips, our lips were numb. It was so brutal. Just that, ste- the steam alone was enough oh, to dull the senses. As soon as you got it in your mouth, it w- literally felt like someone had stuck a red hot poker in your mouth, and then you had to go down. I mean, just think about the just the you know from your mouth to your to your oh, esophagus into your stomach. I've seen hot ones, and I'm sure whatever yes. audience we have has seen hot ones too. It oh is, my god, does not look like a pleasant experience. It was. It was not. I mean, literally. Um, it was, it was hot ones on the last level. I mean, I don't know if it really was, but in my mind it was on the last level Yeah. and we were sweating instantly. I mean, it was like you're pitting out your, your, your face is just all sweaty. And, and the guy comes to us, he's like, so how are you guys doing? Oh, 
great. We love it. I bet, you know, he, and I bet he poured extra in there just because he's like, true. hey, fuck these you guys. Morons. You morons. You he's guys like, are I, I told them not to order this, and they did. Do double. You idiots. <laughs> they put you on a 10. It's a five, <laughs> sure it's a five scale. They dumped everything they had in your guys'. Oh, tray. it was so bad. And so, so we, I don't know, we ate, uh, let's let's pretend we ate four bites, which would have been generous, right? Of, sure. of what we were eating, and so we're done. We're done eating. We literally can't eat another bite because we just can't. We can't breathe. Yeah, it's, it's forced torture. You can't like, exactly. Yeah, it's like that uh, scene in Harry Potter where uh, <laughs> Harry has to give Dumbledore the poison water yes, to get yeah. to the Horcrux, and yes. he's like, no. Don't feed me another spoonful. And, and he's, he's like, like, you have to. <laughs> that totally was you the with the thing. curry. <laughs> oh, my God. And so then the guy's like, well, uh, would you like a doggy bag? We're like, well, of course we do. You know, we just ate too much before we came. Yeah, but you know? he knew. He knew. There's oh. no chance he didn't know. He's like, they're going to oh. bring that home and throw that away. Well, did, no, you, so, did you put so it in the fridge? We did. We Did we, you I eat it? Yeah, well, we tried. So, mm. so I mean, this is... This is this is bad. I mean, so Troy and I, again, we're, we think we're men, and we knew that it was horrible, but we couldn't admit it. You know, we weren't man enough. We weren't man enough to eat it, and we weren't man enough to admit that we were that this Dying. was eating us. Yes. Yeah. And so the next day, you know, I stayed over at, at Troy's house, and the next day we threw it in the microwave, and the microwave was emanating that like yeah. that, that capsaicin stuff where your eyes were just watering. Yeah, it's and fucking your, your chemical mi- warfare. In oh your my eyes. god. We pull it out of there and we both look at each other at, we're sitting on this two person table in his, in his kitchen. We look at each other and we're like, we can't do this. I mean, the guy's not here. The, the waiter's not here. He doesn't know whether we ate it or not. Oh man. Oh, that was the worst ever. It was so bad. It was so, yeah. I mean, oh God, that's that so bad. That like story I was told when I was relatively young yes. and I already yeah, hadn't had many experiences with hot foods. And so I already was like, well, that doesn't sound like I don't see the value in that. And then whenever I would have spicy things, it would generally like the spice was strong enough to like that. I didn't taste the flavor. And it's only until. So I I avoided spicy things for that reason. And I was already a picky eater, as you know, when I was a kid. And now since I've killed more of my taste buds, I'm willing to try more things because (laughs) I just want to feel again. You know, sure, I've sure. had too much salt. It dulls everything that I eat. So now I'm like, yep. throw a tomato on it. Let's do some hot peppers. Right. But I can't point to a specific time where I tried something that I knew was really spicy and I had a knee jerk reaction because I've avoided spicy foods. But I like your smart, story smart. a lot. Smart um, move on your part. I always like, I always think about how it would be fun to do like a tournament with my friends oh. of like a hot ones kind of scenario oh my god i would love like to a, watch that yeah like a fun homemade hot ones with you guys like, should do that yeah and maybe it's some kind of like bracket and there's no rest period so you have to so there's like you have potential that you could eat 30 wings oh my god of like increasing variability of scoville units or whatever oh. and like if you Maybe I don't know what what the criteria would be, but I've always wanted to make that some kind of game because uh, I think it's such a great interview format. But it would just oh, be sure. fun, just be fun to do it with friends too. Yeah, I think you guys would have a blast doing it. Um, I just just thinking of your friends, I think it would be fun to to listen to some of their commentary, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and frankly, 
probably um, couldn't be, post that on YouTube. But I, I was just going to say some of the stuff post 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 would be uh, very interesting as well. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we would we'd we'd have to keep that one to ourselves for sure. <laughs> might say some it Kyrie might... Irving shit on there. <laughs> might all become flat earthers. Who knows? Oh man, yeah. So anyway, that's that was good. Yeah, good I thought, question. I, thought, I don't yeah. have a I don't have a good answer because I was always afraid of a Curry scenario. Um, well, I'm I'm glad that I that I gave you. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you learned throughout your life, and there's some things that you took from us, you know, from mom and mom and I, and there's some things that you learned on your own. I'm glad that this is one thing that you did take from us and said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Maybe the wisest thing I've ever learned from you. <laughs> Oh, maybe so. Maybe don't, so. Don't don't like overestimate it. your spice palette. <laughs> All right, Pop. I thought for our instead of doing a regular feature story today, we could talk about a farewell to arms by Ernest Hemingway, yeah. which we both read in the month of February. It's now April. Uh, so we haven't made time to chit chat about it yet, but that's, right. that's okay. We're here now. I have my copy of the book with me, uh, just so that I can reference it if I need to. Sure. sure. Uh, but I think we should start off by you saying why we even ended up reading this book. Absolutely. So, um, one of the things that I, I do throughout my, my year is different, uh, fitness challenges and different fitness things. So one of the things that I do each year is uh, um, what's called the Go Rock Tribe. And so there's a company called Go Rock. And uh, literally, it's about rocking. But they, part of the tribe aspect of things is that there's a um, a uh, workout that they do. It's a book club. But they, there's a workout that they do. And then on top of that, there's a book club. And so they have a book of the month. And so it happened to me that the February book of the month was a farewell to arms. And I had mentioned it to you. And you said, you know what? I haven't read that by Hemingway. Let's check it out. So we both read it, like you said, in February. Right. Uh, one second. I just got to shut my door. Okay. Sorry for the dead air. I live uh, in a building that has a lot of college students who go to Emerson College, which is the alma mater of Bill Burr. Um, oh, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. And my place is basically soundproof, except when I have the window open, I can hear the people on the other floors playing beer pong and whatnot, which is nice because nice it's like you control whether or not it's coming in your window. Uh, but yeah. my place sometimes gets a little hot. So I had the window sure. open, but shut my bedroom door. Anyway, does Bill, yes. does Bill show up and play beer pong? Uh, I haven't seen him in the halls, but All it's right. definitely possible that he would. Although I know he, if lives, he does, lives in Los Angeles does, now. Get him on the damn podcast if he does. He's got his own podcast to worry I, about. I get it, but he got, he does guest, guest, guest spots as well. Yeah, only when he has a special coming out. But I don't know if All he'll right. be here playing beer pong when he's also advertising a special. Fair uh, enough. But, yes, yeah, so basically my background with Hemingway was – one viewing of Midnight in Paris, directed by Woody Allen, and also uh, we—I was supposed to read um, *The Old Man in the Sea* in high school, and somewhat sure. famously, amongst my friend group, I brag often that I never read a single book in high school, which I is not really a brag. Uh, 
uh, but I would spark or cliff notes everything, and I always right. got A's in English. So there must be some better way to test students on whether they've actually consumed like, the material. Like right. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, the summary of it I found quite boring, uh, which isn't to say that it, it was going to be a bad book, but I, I just didn't get much taken from the summary. So now, since I've rekindled a love for reading, and I read a lot of fiction, I thought, okay, he's going to read this book by a great American author. I like reading the great American novels that I should have read when I was forced to, but now I have to do it and waste my time on something that I could have already wasted my time on. And uh, <laughs> and so I thought it was great, a great pick. Um, but then I read it, and i i have some thoughts so sure I, i'm absolutely interested in hearing what your thoughts are so first let's say of just the fiction books that you've read because i know that you also read a lot of memoirs and biographies um of the fiction books that you've read where would you put this on a scale of let's say one to ten just comprehensively <sighs> not you know i know plot is one thing style of writing right. is one thing but as a yep. whole where would you put it so this is going to be absolutely sacrilegious. Uh, one to ten, I'm going to give it a six. That's sac totally sacrilegious, but that's where I'm at. So six. I actually, I, I would say that's about right. Six, I would almost give it a five. Yeah, um, I struggled. I would agree with that. Five, five-ish. So the part of the reason that I had not read a Hemingway novel since I started my reading journey is because... I knew the reputation of both F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway as right. these, they're like... Icons. They're icons. And, and, but that doesn't make them good authors. And I, had, I had read The Great Gatsby, and I kind of didn't, I did not like the style of writing. I did not think that... Uh, the story is as profound as some people say that it is. And I have a theory about why all that is. They were, and here's my theory. They were alive during a period where movie stars did not exist, right? Okay, sure. And so the way that people consumed their primary source of media was through the newspaper, Yep. And through fiction books because there weren't moving pictures, right? That just wasn't right. a thing. Yep. And, then, um, and so the role of the author was not as dull as it is now. Like people who want to be authors now do it uh, because they have a very fond like feeling about books or they want to yep. be viewed as an intellectual because yes. there's some some kind of random credibility that is afforded authors that is not afforded to film directors that is not afforded uh, to actual actors and actresses, which I think is weird, but it's fine. Yeah. So yeah. some yep. people chase the that, but back then to be an author to write an interesting story would make you famous. And so the reason that we know about F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway today is because they took jobs working for magazines where they would publish serials of their books, chapter right. by chapter, yes. where people yes. could follow along, and yep. they would feel like they were getting to know Hemingway and Fitzgerald themselves. And then, mm -hmm. 
news reporters would report on the weird, like, mythical conquests of the things that Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald would do in real life, like going to Paris, you know, f- during the war, uh, the First right. World War, and hanging out there, like, with all the other cool writer people. Yep. Uh, or just, you know, I don't know, boxing, whatever the hell. These are the things right. that we have, like, uh, National Enquirer for now. And like uh, TMZ is like following Justin Bieber around everywhere he goes. That's kind of how they were. And so I think people validate their art just because they were a popular subject of the paparazzi. But when you're not in that time period and you don't have any sort of respect for them as famous people, the works of them falls flat. Yes, 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 yes. It falls flat. I feel bad saying that, but yes. And I like so I think the reason that your Goruk tribe chose this book is because it explores a lot of the different sides of not just the male machismo, but the idea of being a strong and like uh, principled individual. And, yes, that and, exactly. Right. And so I think that this Hemingway falls into that framework in yes. legend. But in actuality, yes. again, it falls flat. Yep, I agree. So uh, I would say, just as a plot summary, this book follows a fictional rewriting of Hemingway's actual experience when he went yep. to Italy uh, to serve in an ambulance corps during the yes. World War before the United States got involved in the war yep. themselves. And he was chasing that because he wanted to become a famous war hero writer, right? Right. And obviously yep. that worked out for him. And uh, so he's at the front lines because he's running an ambulance shift. And then he's on the losing side of the war at the time of the yep. period in which the book is being written. Uh, and so uh-huh. he has to flee the front, which is being overtaken by the Germans, and then escape... Yep. Italy because he's going to get killed for deserting his service. And along yes. alongside this, he's got this beautiful Irish nurse who he's knocked up out of wedlock. Uh, <laughs> and then they putz around in Switzerland for way too long, and then she dies and the <laughs> novel ends. Um, so what are your thoughts on all of that? And how do you like <laughs> the, uh, the plot summary? Is that accurate? <laughs> the summary is accurate? But boy, I would never want to read that that book that you summarized. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good job of summarizing it. Um, uh, I think there's a little more to it, but I think you did a good job of summarizing it. So the, the challenge is, to, to get to your point on uh, having to read it in high school. So when, when I was in high school, we, I did not read any Hemingway. This literally... Uh, you know, I'm 53 years old. This is literally the first time I read a Hemingway book. Sure. When I was in, in junior high and high school, we had lots of different options to read. And I read a lot, a ton of books. And just like you, I read a lot of books all the time. Uh, I chose not to read Hemingway books. I'm not sure why. I read other ones. So this was the first one I ever read. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to read it because he was Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, because right? he's I mean, got he that legend. Yeah. yeah. He's like Theodore Roosevelt or F. Scott yes. Fitzgerald. Yeah, these kinds yeah. of things. I was excited to read it, and 
And the version of it that I have is slightly different than the one that you have. I mean, it's the same book, but I got a, a some part additional of it. got a pre- features, right? It, it, yeah, it had a preface to it, and then um, an additional like uh, rewrites at the end. And the preface was like, well, how deep Hemingway is, and how when you read this, you see all the symbolism, which that's great. But I tell you what, either I'm not smart enough to pick up the symbolism on the first time, and I'm not going to read this book a second time because I, I can't. For, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, uh, but it, it just, I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I thought it was a, a decent book, and I read it, and, and it wasn't like it was a slog to get through. But his writing style, I did not find enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I literally thought he was, and I think I talked to you about this, uh, you know, a week or so ago. It literally was him, whatever was in his head, he put on the page. Yes, that's called Dream of Consciousness, and Hemingway was actually one of the first American writers to popularize that writing form. Did not like it, did not enjoy it, and that may mean that I'm an idiot for that, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather be an idiot than than be a pseudo-intellectual and say, oh, I really enjoyed this book, blah, blah, blah. No, I I thought it was a decent book. I understood some of the symbolism behind it. You know, he did a lot of stuff uh, around, and and this is, I'm not going to explain this very well, but water right water played a lot of different parts of what what was going on in in the in the book like when they saw certain different types of water it meant certain different things that's the one thing i picked up because he literally hammered that home um but you hit it on the head jordan um uh, it was god sacrilegious it was an okay book it was an okay book i think it's okay for you to not like hemingway i think the way that the tides have turned in in the way that literature is appreciated now i think most people who would read this who have a passion for reading would consider it a very boring story i struggled with it it it, Um, it wasn't that it wasn't a slog like i said but i struggled with like okay so this is supposed to mean this and it's supposed to mean that and i read all i read all the meaning stuff after i read it right i wanted to read the book and have my own thoughts on it yeah and then i started reading some other things and i'm like i didn't get that out of this you know right um so so uh, i just want to speak on that a little bit yeah um, because whereas you read a, a wide variety of literature and you like it both as entertainment and as a study right Yep. I basically only read literary fiction because it tickles that part of my my brain where yep. I have to like see through things. And sure. f- I think that there's different things that people read for and certain literary scholars emphasize symbolism very highly and certainly uh, I know from writing my own stories that I do write symbols into my stories and my books but that like for me as a reader and as a writer my first priority is themes and the the sure. the dramatic question like what what do i want my uh reader to get out of this and that is never veiled in symbolism that is all like a function of plot um, right so i also i mean i don't even pay attention to symbols when i'm reading if they beat me over the head with them that's fine but I, I think that it's like it's it's a plot device. That's all a plot device. But if there's no good plot underlying the plot devices, then it it doesn't matter like how skillfully you can compare water to the experience of escaping a war. Um, right. If you don't have a dramatic question of what's the point of you know, going to war, right? And that, right. and I think that is the question 
Um, and and who wins? Whoever wins in a war, I think, is one of the main questions that Hemingway asks. Yes, absolutely. And answers. Absolutely. Uh, so I do think that there are some things that this book did well, yep. but the symbolism, uh, I, I would say, on in my estimation of it, that that's that's less important. Um, and if that's where he Hemingway and Fitzgerald spent most of their time focusing on i think they made a mistake and i think that's why the book is boring um because the goal is not to trick the reader or to have certain readers who are attuned to symbolism pick up things that other readers can't like yeah uh that's that's not the mark of a good story and that's kind of how like some of these famous books are like I i tried reading ulysses by james joyce before and that's just it's, it's you just have to be a book nerd who's yeah, trying to like challenge yeah. yourself to find yeah. things that aren't yeah. there illusions yeah. and symbolism and that uh and it, it, i'm sure it's a great book for if that's what you're into but if I, i'm more interested in the art of storytelling right um, so i so, get what so, you're saying so to your point earlier um i think part of this really gets to the fact that in the 20s and 30s and 40s and into the 50s people who were authors were seen as the you know the be all end all kind of like a filmmaker or a sports you know you know an athlete right they've Mm -hmm. they've they've been replaced and so i think that it was a lot easier for people to you know people dove in and read you know hemingway two or three or four times and maybe they picked up on that symbolism i mean to be honest with you i it's it just wasn't there for me. Right. Um, and, and, and to your point on Ulysses, the only reason, I mean, I know this isn't about Ulysses, but the only reason that for me I got some of that is because that is the book that we read when I was in junior high. And so I've read that a couple times, and I would not say I'm an expert on that, but that one I enjoyed more than this, but I still would not put that even in my top 150 books because yeah. there's just way too much of that. Um, I can't even understand uh, Ulysses when I read it. I, the Irish dialect It's, it's very insane. challenging. Oh, it's so hard. It, that one is to me was a slog. This was not a slog because, because like right. to your yeah. point. I, I just was, meant was in essence, uh, just oh. in the essence of illusion and symbolism. Yeah. Like I think yeah. that personally, those are less important parts yes, of a book. Absolutely. And if that's Agreed. the emphasis of this book, absolutely. then it's a mistake uh, to yes. call it a great book. Like that alone uh, is not enough. Everything so, so, rests upon plot in the end. Uh, agreed. So the thing that's interesting about that is that I was I literally, I just met a, uh, a guy who lived down here in our area uh, about a week and a half ago. And he is an author. He's a published author. And I was talking to him a little bit about, um, you know, what are the books that you've liked to, that you've liked to have read over, over the years of your life? And what are the things you like to enjoy now? And he named off a few things. Um, and I said, I literally just read a farewell to arms. And the funny thing was that his look on his face was kind of like, huh, you know, like really, why why would you read that? And I thought that was funny because he's about 60 ish, maybe 62 years old. So he's a little bit older, you know, 10 years older than me, 11 years older than me. And he was not enamored with Hemingway for the exact same reasons that you and I are. Cause he's like, is he really? Right. So, so that's the, um, that's the, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't have to worry about sacrilegious shitting on Hemingway or a Fitzgerald anymore because people understand when you divorce them of just their personality, 
and just put them on the pedestal of I like reading good books. Here's a book by, you know, Cormac McCarthy and here's a book by Ernest Hemingway. Like, uh, yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. Uh, but there are, there there are some important messages I think in within this book. And one thing that I particularly liked about it is at first I was confused because there's a lot of rambling around uh, of our main character in Italy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you where nothing, it appears nothing is going on. Right. And it's only when the book is done that I kind of feel that mm-hmm. I understood what he was getting at, which is yes. in most war movies or most war books, there's a detailed uh, viewing of an actual battle or a campaign, sure. uh, which some people really like, some people don't, but it is supposed to put the fear of war into the reader and kind of pull them in right? Exactly. You watch, um, you know, a band of brothers and you feel scared for the people on the screen. Um, and it's not because you love watching people get their heads blown off, but you do want to know as close as you can, obviously you can't for real unless you're there, what it would have felt like to be in that kind of situation. Yes. And so I thought, hey, this is an anti-war novel. I read a lot of anti-war novels, and a lot of them are like that Band of Brothers scenario where you are there on the road with an active kind of battle and how people respond to that. Um, That's not in this book. There's about three pages of it where he (laughs) is on the front lines. He's trying to eat some soup. And all of a sudden, he's in a hospital. Uh, yes, yes. And I think that that is one of the most poorly written parts of the book. But oh my god, yes. Not because I wanted more gory war detail no, stuff. No. I just think that he needed to do the lead up a little bit better than he did. Yeah. Um, but you didn't feel invested, right? You didn't feel invested in my mind. Not in the battle part of it. But once right. the book was done, I understood. That his focus was, we all know the part where soldiers are shooting each other is bad and it results in senseless death and you get shrapnel, right. you get infections, your wounds reopen. Like That's obvious to everybody. You don't have to see that happen to know it's going to happen. Right. Here's what people don't think about. Getting stuck on a road for oh, days God. on end yes. while yeah. troops are coming to snipe you down. Yes. People yep. don't think about what happens once the yep. army goes into retreat. Everything right. falls apart then. Nobody wants to lead then. Here's what people don't think about. You're not allowed to quit. If you quit, right. you're dead. Like yes. here, Here's what people don't think about. You're not allowed to leave a war-torn country. You have right. to get permission. And yes. like you have to hide. And here's what mm-hmm. people don't think about. That costs money. And like there's all these different things uh, that go along with war that never get talked about. Uh, right. All of the downsides of it that have nothing to do with the actual battling itself. It right. ravages a country. It it leaves people emaciated. It leaves them in this animalistic state where they're going to kill other people yep. just because they're upset. Um, and I think or just that, to survive, right? Or to survive. And I think that the horrors of, of war are written about extensively here and i think that he did that well because i haven't read another anti-war novel that talks about the other i haven't seen an anti-war movie 
that talks about the part that's not the battle as much right. as it cares about the battle itself. So, so to your point, Jordan, that was the part of the book that I actually enjoyed the most. And that's funny because, it, like you, you, you stated, it's him getting stuck on a road for days on end and going to a farmhouse where they had to stick around and try and scrounge around for various different things. And then he made the decision to desert. But that piece of it actually, that part actually, I, I don't know why, but it resonated with me more than everything else did. I also think the beginning has a purpose too, where a lot of war is propping people up as pieces in a game and letting them sure. sit there until you use sure. them. So I know that comes across as boring, but a lot of war that isn't in like before a retreat and before an action is boring. You're sitting around yep. waiting for something to develop. Uh, yep. And like, how you deal with that is different for each person. And yep. so he, he's really giving a snapshot into what it's like to be at war, which is, yes. hey, not, absolutely nothing is happening right now. Yep, I'm sitting yep. around talking with the priest about uh, being in love with the women, and he wants me to go visit his uncle in this town and yep. this, that, and the oh, other thing. Here's what I'm going to eat or that, that right. type of thing. Yep. And so I see a use in that. Uh, but since, since the time of this writing, I think that this, well, I wouldn't even say that because there's a lot of great literature written before this too, that does have stronger plots than this. I just think that his, his stream of conscious narration style leads to him just telling us facts without attaching much meaning to them. And then what happens (laughs) is these scholars want to make something out of it. So yeah. then they go and say, well, this is a symbol for this. This yes. soup is a symbol for this. And yep. I'm like, well, was it? Was it? <laughs> or was he just writing about sitting in a villa, in an abandoned villa with a priest and visiting his father? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not I'm sure so that it's as deep as you think it is. I think yep. you have to make it deep because this is a famous guy. And yes. He can't be famous for doing nothing. It, oh my gosh, Jordan. So, so again, that's exactly the way I felt reading this book. Totally the way, and, and I was like, I felt like, uh, you know, inferior, like an inferior human for thinking that. I'm like, oh my God, this is Ernest Hemingway. This is like one of the, the you know, most great famous American novelists and yes. great American novelists in the, you know, ever. And it felt, made me feel like, oh my God, I'm in, I'm a moron, but I, I'm glad that you no, had I, that exact same take. Again, I spend all of my time reading only literary fiction. So right. I like to think that I have a good grasp of when an author has executed something well and when they haven't executed something well. And this just ain't it, Chief. Um, it's just <laughs> I, I, not it. Again, echo a unique perspective about the parts yeah. of war that nobody yeah. thinks about that are equally Absolutely. as devastating as live yeah. action. But... It, it just wasn't it wasn't worth it wasn't worth it there needed to be a stronger layer there and there was also yeah. some some touching on societal expectations of men and women yeah, and marriage yes. and this and oh, that absolutely. and i think that that might have been more impactful at the time that it was written than it is now because yep. Yep. Uh, it's pretty standard. norms are different right yeah it's pretty norms standard are- to have sex with and live with uh, people who you were not planning to marry. Right. Um, yeah. 
And so I think that's one half of the book right there. Like that whole last section after they have actually escaped Italy and made it to Switzerland is just commenting on, so it's just social commentary and it has no purpose to you or me because it doesn't apply in today's world. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why, again, it's like, okay, what's the hidden meaning here? Who the hell cares? I didn't care because like you said, it didn't apply to me. Again, I'm not sure sure that there is a hidden meaning. I think that he just was writing and people say that there's a hidden meaning. Sure. Like you said, it's, it's someone trying to be more intellectual than they, than they really are. But for sure it wasn't applicable to me, to me and even less applicable to you based on kind of the way social norms have changed over the, the last, what, uh, almost a hundred, this book was built, was written in 1929. So it's it been was. almost 100 years. That's and amazing. Yes, and it's based off of a time that was over 100 years ago. Yes, so. absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I I don't know many people who do like Hemingway as a, a writer, but they I know a lot of people who like Hemingway as a legend. I I do have a question. Have you did you ever read On the Road by Jack Kerouac? So I have not. So I know that you have read that and mm-hmm. you've talked about it a little bit. Um, it's one again. It's one of those books that I know that I should read. So let me. My last commentary on Hemingway is he's one of those authors that you are supposed to like, and if you don't like him, you're an idiot. And, you know. You know that's kind of the the tagline. I don't and think so, anymore. I think. Well, I think right. But when I was the Hemingway, up, you knew yes, but right. Not, yeah. It's not that way anymore. And so I absolutely would like to read On the Road by Jack Kerouac um, again because it's one of those books that you're supposed to read. I just, and you know me, I read a lot of books. It's just one of those books I haven't gotten to, and that seems ridiculous, but I know you have. So I'd be curious to see what your take is on that. Well, I I bring it up specifically because it's also written in a stream of conscious narration style. Sure. Uh, Famously, uh, Kerouac wrote it in three weeks straight through uh, while he was on a myriad of drugs. And. (laughs) the the beat movement in general is very the writing style of their poems and their stories is really weird uh and it's definitely aimed at like a more young rebel audience of the 50s than it would be um but his greatest influence was hemingway and interesting i didn't know that and i would say that on the road which is just basically um a look at these this beat movement and these kids going around the country not really knowing what they want to do with their lives um, is executed in a much better way than this, even though I would say there's about the same level of plot and it, it's sure. written in a similar way. So I do think that this can be done well, uh, this style that Hemingway wrote in and obviously made famous and uh, Kerouac stands on the shoulder of giants and On the yep. Road's not my favorite book. It's definitely aimed at a more angsty teenager than it is um, a 22-year-old paying his own rent. But <laughs> but it's it's definitely a better book than this. So all that to say, Hemingway is just he's just not it. And I, I don't think it makes you smart or stupid to like him or dislike him. Like sure. I, you, you know, I, I like Pride and Prejudice, you know, Jane Austen, and yep. I like um, Wuthering Heights, Emily Bronte. Like, there's all kinds of books that people who aren't smarter than you are pseudo-intellectuals and say that if you're smart, you like them, and if you're not smart, you don't. 
and you hear me rail on it all the time privately that I hate the idea that reading itself is an intellectual activity at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, And I know that you take a slightly different stance on that and that you see there is some intellectual value in it. And I just think it's a different medium from TV shows and movies. Uh, But even within the literary community now, there's just so much strong literature within America and beyond that I don't, I don't think many people care for Hemingway. Plus, he's a symbol of that uh, toxic masculinity thing that they talk about. Oh, well, for sure. For which, sure he is. Absolutely. Which uh, doesn't really bother me. Like, I don't think it has to be characteristic of men to be emotionally unavailable and like uh, very strong or this and that, whatever. I think that could be true of men or women and strong right. women can see hem- themselves in Hemingway as well. Uh, I don't think that he meant it to be an, an exclusive club, but oh, I think I, that yeah, there's I just less, right. less interest in that kind of perspective in general. But I think sure. there's a lot of value in, you know, learning how to, um, be more stoic and more unaffected by other people and have some self-confidence. So sure. uh, this book doesn't do a good job of that, but the legend of Hemingway does have some value there where, Hey, like don't, don't go down without a fight and be willing to see the fun side of life, that kind right. of stuff. So I don't want to assault the man, but I do want to yep. assault the Agreed. art because I think it's bad. Yep. Yeah, agreed. You know, so that's one of the things that um, after having read the, the novel, you know, I knew a little bit about Hemingway beforehand, of course, you know, just being my age and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I did read a little bit more about him and and I knew that he had done a lot of, you know, things about mo- moving to various different areas. You know, he li- obviously lived in Paris for a long time. You know, he lived in Cuba for a period of time. He lived in Florida. He did a lot of crazy things, bullfighting and you know, mm-hmm. fly fishing, which is not crazy, but bullfighting is crazy. Um, he, you know, he lived a very, uh, eclectic lifestyle, you know? And so I think you're right that the separating his art from who he is, um, also has a benefit. Um, I think that he's an interesting person, uh, and just because I don't like his books doesn't mean that I, I don't find him interesting. Right. So, and yeah, I think that, no, that, that his personage is again, lent all of the credibility to his art that was necessary. Yes. Yeah, and the, the people who talk highly of him as a writer now uh, probably are in love with the romantic of idea of him as a person yes. and yeah, are still willing to extend it to the art, yep. right? Yep. Not that there's an objective good and bad in literature, but there is like a baseline of things that you need to have a story uh, that multiple different perspectives can connect to. And the sure. only way to connect to this story is to have the same perspective of the world that Hemingway has of it. Um, yeah, and, and we don't. We, it, and we just it's don't. just yeah, we're we live in a different time, and yep. we live in a more complex world than the one that he presents in this story. <laughs> yep, so. absolutely. It, it would be curious. Uh, not that I would want someone to rewrite this, but it would have been curious had he lived in this era, how he would have approached this type of a story. Um, I, I can't even speculate it, to be honest with you, but I think it would have been vastly different than what it is right now. I think um, the style of writing of people would translate. I think he just has a very one, he had a very one dimensional view of storytelling, whereas I would sure. say, like, another good anti war novel is Slaughterhouse Five by okay. Vonnegut. Uh, yep. And there, 
the dramatic question is the important part and there's some there's some strong like different themes of mental illness and this and that and the other thing and that's that's a, about world war Two instead of world war one yep um and his writing is also a lot like it's less it's more straight to the point uh than yeah. this with its long winding sentences so i i think it just translates how you view the world and how you present it to people sure. uh and even in today's world if you put vonnegut and Hemingway in a room and they both had to write a story about the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan or the Russian occupation of Ukraine, I think you would get a more one-dimensional perspective from Hemingway and a more two-dimensional or three-dimensional aspect from Vonnegut. Yeah, I, I'm, I definitely appreciate Vonnegut more than Hemingway, and I've read more of his, well, obviously this is the first thing I've read by Hemingway, but I've read more of Vonnegut's stuff. Um, and I, Just his writing style is more appealing to me. So. Yeah, and and uh, just his perspective is one that I think is easier for more people to connect to. Yeah, um, and, absolutely. And that's the that's the sign of a of a good book. If if many people can read it and understand, uh, and put themselves in the place of your protagonist, I think that you've done a good job as a writer. And if people can't Agreed. relate to it at all, then it's probably not going to stand the test of time. And again, I don't think this book does stand the test of time. I think that his outsized personality is what makes him important. And the fact that he's in a Agreed. lot of literature textbooks yep. for being a cool badass because yeah. uh, English teachers have a vested interest in showing yeah. characters to children who might make them interested in reading because that's kind yep. of their job. Well, well yeah, if, if you're sitting in an in a, uh, English classroom and, and the guy tells you, hey, this author, he did bullfighting. Whether you even know what that even means or not, it sounds kind of cool. So yeah, I want to read a book by a guy who did bullfighting. Right. You know? Right. I, I like, it's less interesting to say, yes, uh, Tony Morrison, uh, she was an editor, uh, at Simon and Schuster for 30 years. And she wrote seven novels while living in Brooklyn, uh, alone, not married. And that was her life. <laughs> and then she passed right. away. Like, that's like, Oh, I want to be an author. Okay. <laughs> You know, but if you're like, oh, he was like, he was fighting with the bulls and he was on the front lines, you know, and sending yeah. his script manuscripts back. Like, yep. that's why he's still famous. And, and America yep. needs these kinds of legends to validate yep. uh, how far behind we were in the world of literature. Because uh, there was a big push in the 19th and early 20th centuries to create our own kind of literary character. Sure. Uh, which, well, well, he hit it. Yeah, and so so Hemingway's a big one, Fitzgerald's a big one, and then um, you hear about Walt Whitman all the time. He's a great American poet, or Emily Dickinson. Like, the, yep. so I I think Emily Dickinson's great, but I hate Walt Whitman. But oh, he's God. he's yep. the quintessential American poet because he yep. again it's a unique character that we can talk about. Like, oh, look at the oh, way that yeah. he writes, and he certainly inspired a lot of American poets he, since he then. Uh, kind of very much popularized free verse poetry. But yep. I think that Walt Whitman stuff, do, I, I can't connect with it at all. And again, it's Me only either. these pseudo-intellectuals who go like, oh, wow, like the the themes, the symbols of this, that, the other thing. Like I, I'm a deep reader. I pick up what the what the author's putting down in most cases. Right. If they If they can't write it simple enough that somebody who is... 
22 just i'm not of above average intelligence but if they're writing for people who are above average intelligence then we shouldn't really be lauding it for anything no kidding it's too like, small of an audience point? yeah what's the point there's there's hardly anybody in that stratosphere and they make up what's smart and what's not smart so it's, it's just right. it's it's bad it's just yep, uh, it's a bad yeah. structure and i get yep. it hemingway will probably be famous in classrooms for a long time but on the yep. shelves of readers, I don't think that he has much of an impact anymore. And no, I, the I, I summary will, of I, Old Man in the Sea sounds just as boring as this. I can tell you that. So, so again, like as I said earlier, I've read none of his other books. I, and right now, I don't have the urge to read any of his other additional books. Um, yeah. you know, and, and it's one of those, and I've said this a couple of times, but it makes me feel kind of bad about it. But no. you're, you're making me feel better about it. Uh, while we're talking about this so, so uh, i mean there's the a therapy. lot of there's a lot of famous books that suck moby dick <laughs> moby dick is uh suck dick. no but it, <laughs> moby dick is like probably a six like it's not sure. like a genius sure. tier i mean not to me at least again like right. there's whole college classes dedicated to like analyzing yes. oh, the symbolism absolutely. that herman melville but at the yes. end of the day when when these kids write if they sit down and they write a story for themselves you can see the process of an author in your own head like the, like there's degrees of how good you are at storytelling but you put down the symbols and you put down the things but the the whole point when you're writing is what am i trying to demonstrate to yes. my reader like what do i want them to learn yep. what can i impose upon them and for herman melville it was uh, you can chase one thing for your whole life, but if you get it, it might just kill you. And yeah. Hemingway is, there's absolutely no good reason to engage in a useless war. It leads to senseless violence, and also marriage is dumb. <laughs> which which may or may not be accurate. Even both of those statements may or may not be accurate, but reading it the way he wrote it, was not in, it was not enticing yeah, to me. So that that's it. We've talked enough about it. Yeah, uh, we did. You shouldn't feel bad about not liking it. And if you did like it and have a different take, I, uh, I hunt, don't hunt me down, audience member who might yes. have who might have liked this book. Hunt me down, find me, and tell me about why I'm wrong about why this book sucks and why why Moby Dick is also a mid book. All right. Yes. We'll leave it at that. I agree. Okay, uh, this week in media, what do you got, Dad? So I have been watching um, a series called uh, Winning Time, uh, which is a story about the rise of the Showtime Lakers in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and it's, it's very personal to me um, because Magic Johnson is my favorite NBA player of all time. Yeah. I mean, bar none, my favorite NBA player, which meant that, of course, I was a huge Lakers fan. Uh, from the time that he he was on the on the Lakers in the, in uh, 1979 1980, and so seeing that uh, portrayed on the screen has been awesome. Um, I know that there's a lot of um, uh, artistic license that's tied to the stuff that people haven't really seen, but I think the stuff that they did, the the, the actors they cast have been phenomenal. Um, uh, John uh, John C. Riley, oh my gosh, as Jerry Buss, this dude had better win a freaking Emmy. Because he's phenomenal, so I would highly encourage 
anyone to watch it. Uh, the first couple episodes uh, are a little slow, but it really picks up. So if you get a chance, check it out for sure. I've been watching that. I would definitely give it a thumbs up. Nice. How about yourself, Jordan? Uh, on the theme of war stuff, since we're discussing yes. this this week, yeah. I watched um, Saving Private Ryan for the first nice. time. Uh, oh, seriously? I didn't realize you hadn't watched it before. I had never seen it. I had tried wow. watching it when I was younger, but wow. I something came up and I didn't watch it. And then Okay, so I have tons of curiosity on what your take is. I'm super excited to hear what you have to say now. Yeah, okay. So this is a good war movie. And I, like, I knew that it was very famous and Tom Hanks, uh, obviously, anything that he decides to sign on to he obviously sees a lot of potential in you know right uh forrest gump big for example those and the brothers uh yes but big mainly um but this was quite it was really good i, I have a hard time watching a lot of like just battle-based like stuff which is weird because yep, i, I read that. so many anti-war books or whatever and blah, sure blah, blah. And obviously, I have a lot of respect for um, the individuals, not who orchestrate war, but who are forced to participate in it. Sure, yep. Uh, and I thought that this was a great this was a great outlet. So I know it's like inspired by a true story, and the true story is a little different. Maybe right, it's yes. less important. But I yep. thought that it was really cool, the idea of having to like justify that mission to go save the one guy. Uh, yeah. The fact that they, they found a way to justify it. And yep. then the horrifying losses that they yeah. took and that they all died to protect one random bridge. Yep. Um, just for planes to show up at the end and blow up their opposition for them. Yeah. Uh, which is again, sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yes, I think that Matt Damon was very good. I think that yep. Tom Hanks was amazing in it. Sometimes yep. I find him a little bit too much. Uh, Toy sure. Story, not a big fan. How about uh, Tom Sizemore? Do you remember which character he was? Uh, he's, he's, he's one of the sergeants, kind of a gruff guy. He's got he sound like he smoked about fifteen packs of cigarettes a day. He yeah, was, I, really I know good. who you're talking about. I, I thought it was yeah. all cast very well. I like yeah. it. I like the sniper guy who always was yes. praying as yeah. he was mowing yeah. around or whatever. Yeah. No. Uh, I thought that they did it. I just thought that they did a good job of showing again what it would be like to wander around and like feel that. It was very yeah. easy to get absorbed, and I cried at the yep. end. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was good. And obviously, awesome. I think for me, like I remember going to the Vietnam War Memorial with my grandfather when I was yep. young and seeing yep. him cry as he saw yep. the names of people that he served with who didn't get to make it home and the fact yes. that they made sacrifices that meant he got to mm -hmm. come home, right? Right. And I I saw him cry and it it like it I knew that it meant something to him, but it meant nothing to me. Only in right, the fact right, that yep. I cared for him because I wasn't yes, in Vietnam. Yep. I didn't see right. that. Uh, and I think that it was cool the way that they sandwiched the story in between the older version of Matt Damon's character going mm -hmm. to the cemetery in France and like doing right. that little salute. Because if you see an 80-year-old yep. man saluting a cross in like a military... like gravestone or whatever 
and you've never been in the military, you can be like, okay, that's kind of cringe, you know, not to be disrespectful, but I think that no, I get if it. you I, haven't I had that experience, you're like, okay, like this is weird, but yeah. having it sandwiched like that, you get to see the significance and like the way that somebody might actually recall those memories, you know, yes. like my grandpa, yep. when he, he was looking at that name might have been in Vietnam in his head. Yes, right? absolutely. Uh, and because I'm very fortunate to have never had to experience war, I don't get the full appreciation of that. And I thought this movie did a good job of of, of framing that. So, so do you? You know, obviously the opening twenty minutes are just insane because they, the way that they captured the uh, oh. Omaha Beach. So, so you, you've been to Omaha Beach, and yeah. and I know that you were far younger than you are now. So I don't know what your appreciation I, was or is at that I, point. But for me, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I just I remember going on that tour and that tour was the first exposure that I got of what it was like cuz I hadn't seen that movie and Band of Brothers is about paratroopers who drop in past the beaches. Right, yep, behind it. Yep. Right. So I I'd, I'd never seen how that was, but I think that I had a greater appreciation for the movie after having actually gone to that beach yes, and seeing so. where the guns were and having yep. them explain that they were like, Oh yeah, they were aimed crisscross so that they could literally shoot everybody yeah. who walked yes. past a certain point. Yep. And then you saw that it was accurately portrayed in the movie mm-hmm. uh, and how they had to jump sideways out of the boats and they were getting shot yep. in the water. And it was just this slog of like, they were just willingly dying so that yeah. the people who came after them could secure a checkpoint. Absolutely. So what were you going to say about that? I, I got well, a massive appreciation of the movie from being at the beach, you know? Right. No, no. So so similar in that I had seen the movie beforehand and, and done a lot of reading. As you well know, that's one of the pieces of history that is very... Yeah, uh, near, near and dear to you, yes. Absolutely. And so having read it, read about it and seen the movie, I was very excited to see it in person. Not because, oh, this is such a great place, but be, to your point, it's like, to understand exactly what those people went through mentally and emotionally and being there was insane to me because you just hit it on the head. The way that the, that the Germans had all of the guns set up, not only on the beach, but behind the, the you know, 20 miles away. Uh, and the fact that anyone survived out of that was just. And, uh, and again, it was incredible. Just the, the brutal concept of yes. war yeah. that, yeah. that, okay. Th- somebody has to go first like somebody yeah. has to start yes. this invasion yeah. and yep. their whole goal the people who drop first is yep. to like even have a chance at living and then if enough of them live to open up an opportunity for the next wave so yeah. that the entire next wave yeah. can live mm-hmm. yes. so like your your odds of dying scenario are already at like 70% by the time you're oh, yeah. going to the beach and having that be the reality that you find yourself in, maybe because you were drafted, maybe because you didn't even right. volunteer you didn't even to be to go there, there. Yeah. is insane. It's insane yeah. that yeah. that is how we resolve conflicts at all. And that that's the Agreed. only way that as nations we've resolved conflicts since the beginning of nations. Absolutely. It, and before it, tribes and all that stuff. It's it's incomprehensible to someone who's never seen war uh, firsthand, never had to experience it. It's so disgusting to me 
And I do have just so much respect for the people who are in those boats and they drop yeah. the front and boom, suddenly you're dead. Like, yeah, what a what a way, what a thing to dedicate yourself to, um, to the freedom of the people that that don't have to die. Right. You know, I mean, j- the that, people on the that, beach and the millions of people at home. It's insane. Right. Well, to me, that's the definition of courage, right? The, yes. As soon as and that the front of that, yes, the, the second that that uh, front of that boat dropped, like you said, I mean, seventy percent was a generous portion of of, of people killed. It was probably ninety percent for the first wave, and the fact that they didn't just duck and dive into the water immediately, which I think every human would have been tempted to do, just the 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 amount of respect and i don't even know how how to how to actually articulate it but the amount of respect and honor and uh, that, that i have for these people is is it's just off the charts yeah yeah it just makes me angry that uh, as a species we're unable to find a way yeah. to yeah. resolve things yeah. other than that and especially now in the u.s news cycle there's a lot of you know all the stuff with the ukraine that we're hearing about yeah. which is tragic but also the things that the united states uh, has done in other countries itself so right. it's just yep. insane that any country undertakes this level of um i'm gonna call it malevolence but saving well, private well, ryan's a good movie well Agreed. And, and the only thing, last commentary on that is that unfortunately things have not changed in the history of the world. It's mm-hmm. always been this way. And it's sad to me that the fact that no one has, I mean, we figured out how to, how to, how to build robots that can pretend to be dogs, but we can't figure out how to do something a little bit differently without, in terms of getting along with sacrificing the people who have it's, the, the it's least shocking to me. Yeah. It's, it's shocking. It's very me. strange. It's a very strange thing, but it feels almost inevitable um, and the fact that even when you campaign for peace, you know that war war is something that happens. Absolutely. So it's just Absolutely. insane. It's insane. Yep. Um, but a good movie, a very humbling movie. And yep. um, I, I would definitely watch it again, for sure. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's one of those movies that I think you can watch it a few times, but for me, I can't watch it over and over again just because it's oh, just it's so really, sad. It's, it's yeah. too real. It's too real for me. Yeah, that you know? it is. It is very real, and and um, again, very humbling. So yeah, absolutely. If you ever cool. feel privileged, then or if you ever don't feel privileged, that's the movie to watch. Absolutely, well, I'm pumped you watch it. Cool. Thanks for sharing that, Jordan. Mm-hmm. What's something you learned this week, Bob? All right. So this is just an interesting thing to me. Um, so uh, there, there was a shipwreck that happened outside of uh, the UK in 1997. So, you know, 25-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. And on that ship, they were carrying a bunch of Legos, which, okay, great, whatever. But there are still Legos washing on the shore, even now, from what from that shipwreck. That's to me it was amazing. I mean, you, I think a shipwreck. Okay, great things wash ashore, but we're talking almost thirty years down the road. People are still finding like dinosaurs and um, various different, uh, you know, like an octopus and and dragons. It's just goofiness that that the fact that there's a a shipwreck that occurred that long ago and we're still finding pieces from that shipwreck. There's like five million Legos, and they found like two million of them washed upon shore. It was just surprising to me just kind of a a, a trivia type thing but it was crazy that they were still finding legos on there 
Well, that should be a warning to everybody. One, never to eat seafood because what they are forced to ingest is sad. Ship cruise ships, they just open the bottom of the ship and dump the trash into the ocean and it's completely legal. Shh. Yeah. We don't um, talk about that. Right, exactly. So the microplastics, they're they're in all the fish. They've started to detect them in humans now. Um yep. Yes, so don't reuse your plastic water bottles, but also don't throw them in the ocean. And odds are, if you're recycling them, only 70% of it is getting recycled, and the other part is somehow ending up buried in the ground where we grow crops and we'll eventually eat it, or we'll end up in the ocean where fish will eat it, and then you'll eat the fish. Um, But that is a fun little interest story that sometimes the disgusting plastic is a Lego. It was was insane. That's charming. Anyway... So Jordan, what did you learn this week? Uh, so uh, I, I guess mine's less of a fact and more just like, have you ever thought about kind of thing? Sure. I was, I'm, so I'm trying to read War and Peace uh, and oh, finish man, it that, by the end. A of slog? Not a slog. It's actually a very, oh, it's a very engrossing maybe. book, much better than Ernest Hemingway. Well, that's uh, good. Tolstoy, Tolstoy is supposed to be a great writer. So. He is. Uh, he definitely lives up to the hype where Herman Melville but, does not. Uh, but <laughs> there was one thing that I was reading the other day where a soldier was uh, trying to put on what he called leg bands. And I was like, what okay. the hell is a leg band, right? Yeah. And he kept talking about how he wanted to use this fabric as his leg bands. And I guess, okay. what do you think a leg band is? Well, so in my head, originally when I when I saw that you were going to talk about leg bands, it was it was like a workout implement. Like, okay. hey, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of what I thought of. Okay, and then but the last now thing I think of- about if it's a 19th century soldier during the Napoleonic right. Russian Wars. So, so from that perspective, then I thought it was like you know shackles and chains. Okay, so you wear socks, yes? I do. You wear compression socks. You like compression socks. I uh, wore some today when I ran. Yeah, for athletics, right? Yeah. But you know, because your grandfather, no, not your grandfather, your own father, my grandfather, wears socks without any elastic in them. Yeah, yes, he does. (laughs) There was a time when elastic didn't exist at all. Think about that. That's insane. Have you ever thought about that? Like we just put I, our socks on, but there's a there was a time where so all of the them? socks had to be tightly knit enough that you would pull them up. But oh Grandpa God, has awesome. to buy new socks all the time because they don't have <laughs> elastic, and he stretches them out, and then he can't wear them anymore. And you're laughing. I know you're off mic right now. You're laughing, but it's it's true, right? <laughs> how often does how often does your father have to buy new socks? all the time because he doesn't like the feel of elastic so he just pulls up these tight cotton socks and then he stretches them out with his fat ankles and has to buy more this is how everybody's life was but they didn't have target so you couldn't (laughs) just have brand new tight fabric socks once your your stockings they called them slackened once they were no longer tight Yep. You would find bits of leather or whatever cloth you could get a hold on and to tie the tops of your stockings tightly around your what? leg. 
That doesn't sound appropriate. That sounds horrible. Sounds like you're putting a tourniquet on your leg. It's exactly like that. And so then uh, they also started tying them over the tops of their trousers, like when they had to mount or dismount a horse, they would tie the trousers tightly. Think about how if you ride a bicycle in a pair of jeans, your foot will get uh, caught on the chain sometimes. So sometimes people wear those little leg bands to keep their pants tight to them. And now we have all of these sweatpants that are form-fitting, and we have all these skinny jeans. But they had loose trousers because that was the easiest thing to stitch, and it was a one-size-fits-all kind of scenario. Right. But they they liked the look of skinny jeans, the way that we like them. Not jeans, but skinny pants, skinny trousers. And so they would tie leg bands around to tighten and accentuate their calves and to keep their stockings up. And that is how they had the idea to start stitching tapered leg pants, which they called hose, which is why you see all of those people from the Ben Franklin era wearing hose, pantaloons, because they started stitching them that way, and then the stockings would be held up by the pantaloons, or hose, as they called them. That's crazy. But when you were at war and you had limited provisions you would find whatever scraps you could to tie up your stockings because you didn't want to walk around in your leather strip shoes barefoot because that would be quite rough on your feet. Right. And that was life before elastic. Think about how simple our life is compared. I mean, this was this was a prisoner of war who was just looking for scraps of leather so that he could tie his socks up. That's what his life was. He was living in a French camp outside of Moscow eating whatever rations they could provision him. And all he wanted was scraps of leather so that his stockings wouldn't fall down. And here, (laughs) I Uber Eats dinner to my apartment, (laughs) and I feel a little bit annoyed that I have to go downstairs to get it. And you have elastic in, like, every piece of clothing you have, plus, like, your backpack and everything. That's crazy. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, elastic is an essential part of the human dress code now but there was a time not so long ago when it didn't exist at all a time that my grandfather prefers to now (laughs) absolutely except if he didn't have a target i bet he'd be wearing more elastic things because if he couldn't buy a bunch of socks all the time like the russian soldiers couldn't then he would need leg bands so i think he would opt (laughs) for the elastic but who knows Exactly. Anyway, I, that's just that's a have you ever thought about life before elastic kind of thing? It was a time. Oh, no, it was I have a not. Time. It was a crazy time. So yeah, that that was the world that they lived in, tying up their stockings with leg bands. That's what I. I might get a week. panic attack thinking about it. That's awesome. All right. All right. This, this week in chess. I'll wrap it up. So I think we left off with me saying it was uncertain who was going to qualify for the candidates. We were rooting for Hikaru. He had to do well in the second or in the third leg of the FIDE Grand Prix. He did. He uh, took uh, first overall in the FIDE Grand Prix and he took second in the third leg, which meant that he did get a spot in the candidates. So now uh, almost all the competitors are chosen. Jan Nepomniachi, he's the runner up from the last championship so he gets a chance to fight for the championship again 
uh, a Fide pick called Timor Rajibov. He's an attacking type. He's uh, very good. Uh, oldest candidate in the field at 35. That's about wow. your washed up years as a chess player. And like he's over the hill, right? Yes, for sure. Jan Christoph Duda, he's 23. Uh, he's on the way up. He's um, he's doing okay. He He's had some struggle in competitive events, but his FIDE rating is still 2750, so he's quite good. Um, top, top 10. Uh, and then... Uh, Sergei Karyakin was a Russian player who was supposed to be in the candidates, but he got disqualified uh, based off of some things he said about the current conflict in Ukraine. Ali Reza Feruja is our youngest candidate in the field, and he's the only one who Magnus Carlsen has said that he wants to play in the next championship. So there's a lot of pressure on him to win. Um, sure. And 18, that's supposed to be uh, like peak chess performance. Uh, and he's not quite as... Think at, at some level. Yes, and he's not quite as good as uh, as Magnus, but he is the world number two rated player, and he's been hiding out. He hasn't been competing in really any events uh, since he finished his last uh, qualifying event, the the FIDE Grand Swiss tournament. Uh, right. So nobody knows how he's going to perform, but there's hope. And then Fabiano Caruana, who played Carlsen in 2016 and lost, but he's an American, uh, and he's here to do it again. And then Hikaru, we already mentioned. He's 34, so he's also over the hill, but he's playing some Way of the best the chess in his life. Some of the best chess in his life, and we're we're wishing him all the best. And then Richard Rapport, uh, who was Hikaru's main competitor in the FIDE Grand Prix, and he took runner-up. And then whoever will take Karyakin's spot. It's looking like the Chinese player, Dingli Ren or Levon Aronian. It depends on where their ratings stand as of May 2022. All right. So awesome. that's that's the candidates field. You'll hear, hear more about it as it comes closer. Uh, for now, they're all just studying up their openings and trying to figure out how they're going to beat one another and surprise one another. But yes, all very exciting. All eight it players is. have been picked. I, I love it. I, I to, to me, it's one of those things where uh, like you said, there's just such a range of, of ages for the folks and expectations. Um, Hikaru, like you said, being 34, you know, in theory, quote unquote, over the hill. Definitely over be, the hill, not in theory. Definitely over the hill. It would be interesting to see if he wins it to see what Magnus actually does. Because like right. you said, Magnus said, hey, he, he doesn't, he's not really interested in playing someone yeah. of that age. Right. I'll be so curious to see what the, happens. The, yeah. So if he doesn't play, there is a provision where the top two finishers in the candidates tournament then just play each other for the title okay. of world champion, okay. which which would be fine, but I think everybody would be disappointed to win that way, to know that there right. is a yeah. better player out there yep. and yep. to say that you're the world champion just because he forfeited his title is, sure. is a sad way to go. And it's actually, yeah. I mean, that's what Bobby Fischer did as well. Um, he won his, and then he, they didn't agree to his terms for the next championship, so he said, that's fine, vacate my title and give it to somebody else. Sure. Uh, and there was, for a long time, some insecurity amongst chess players. It's, it's happened a couple times, but I'm an American, so I always think of Bobby Fischer. Uh, Absolutely. But, yeah, that's that's this week in chess. How about you, Dad? What's this week in so, Brian? So this week in Brian, I guess I'll bring up uh, something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. The NBA playoffs are starting. Last time we talked about the NCAA tournament. This time we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. Both you and I are fans of the Suns. Hell yeah. um, And uh, we would love to see the Suns win their first world championship ever. 
That'd be awesome. Wow. Uh, last year, last year was was fun. I think for both of us because it was the Bucks and we lived in Milwaukee and versus the Suns. But let's see the Suns bring it home. Uh, we're just starting things off. The Suns' first game is is you know upcoming here. So uh, this is the first of, of many many series. Hopefully, and uh, hopefully by the time. Uh, uh, we get down here in two months. The Suns will be in the finals, and you and I will have been right. able to at least go to one or two games. Okay, so obviously the Suns will be the representatives from the West, but I do. I'm, I'm not sure it's obvious, but it's it's obvious. Uh, obviously, all the Warriors might have something to say about that, but okay, obviously they will not make it that far. Um, <laughs> fair enough. And the Suns will, but. Who do you think takes the East? I mean, Miami's oh, looking good. Milwaukee's looking good. The Celtics are sure. looking good. The Nets are looking yep. good. It's a tough field to predict. And the so, Timberwolves so are on the come up, you know. Yeah, but they're in they're in the West. They're gonna they're they'll play the Suns next. Oh, time. Right. I'm sorry. They they are. Yeah. In the West. So so from the from from the East perspective, I still think until you beat the Bucks, the Bucks are are the the favorites. However. I would say that, like you said, the Celtics, uh, I, you know, the Heat are okay, but I think that they're vulnerable. To me, it's the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Bucks. Those are the three teams. Uh, the the Sixers have a tough matchup with Joel Embiid. My God, there's not very many people who can who can play against him. Right. Plus, being able to, and, and Maxie, they have James uh, Harden as well. James Harden, yep. And Maxi play uh, was was phenomenal yesterday. So I don't. Those are the, my top three. I do think that it's either the Celtics or the Bucks that come out of out of the East. Not and the Heat. Me, no, nope. Okay. The Heat does not. They, they don't do it. I think it's a. In my mind, it's the Bucks or the Celtics. What do you think? I think it would be wild to see an Eastern Conference Finals again with the uh, the Heat and the and the Bucks. Okay. Because every se- every time they have a playoff series, it's quite contentious. At least with this lineup of people, the Absolutely. the Jimmy Butler yes. squad versus yep. the Giannis squad. Yep. Uh, and I think that Miami would love to see that matchup because they kind of got blown out last year. Yeah. Um, well, you and I were we watched that game, right? The Chris Middleton game at the you know when he hit the shot with one second left to, yes. to clinch the series. We were in Milwaukee, fifty feet away from the arena when that happened. It was crazy. Right. I I don't know. I I think Milwaukee could do it again. I I love Milwaukee. Uh, having gone to school there, I have a great appreciation for that team. Um, but I personally, I would love to see the Celtics get there just so that I can go to the games selfishly. <laughs> and we talked about that at the beginning, so we don't have we to did. go back into that. But, we did. but we yeah, did. I don't know. I, I think you're right. It, it, I don't know. It could be this Nets, this Nets Celtics series is is going to be very contentious. I wouldn't be surprised it if it goes to seven games. Um, yeah, I agree. We'll we'll see what happens, and if the Celtics don't make it out of that, then obviously they're not a contender. Agreed. I just, for some reason, I just don't think that, that Brooklyn can hold it together that long. I, I honestly don't. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking the Celtics will win, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'd be fun. We'll see, it'd be, it'd be fun to see. So awesome, very cool. All right. Well, speaking of which, I got to put on my son's jersey and and tune into the game. They're playing New Orleans right now. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how they do. Thanks for potting with me, Dad. Uh, again, this is, our outro song is by Ted Heineshevitz. You and I, check out Ted Heineshevitz on Spotify or wherever you find your music. Have a good night.